Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Hey, you never really know what a day's going to hold, do you? And uh, that kind of really leads in to where I'm going this morning. So I didn't plan that either, really. Had no idea. But I got to start today with sort of the rest of the story. So if you were here last week, I told this little story, which was a real incident in my life, because I thought it made a point with what I had to, to speak about. But I heard, why don't you tell us the rest? What happened? What happened? It kind of ties into today, so I'll finish. I left you last week with me in a plane where the cabin was filling with smoke. We were on the tarmac at Detroit uh, Metro Airport, and that was a, a plane that was supposed to go to Paris, France, where I had a very contentious meeting uh, lying ahead of me. So I was the first person on that airplane. First, I had no idea, but smoke was filling this cabin. It was crazy. Since I was the first in, the last row, row number 38, I'm going to be the last person off of this plane. And uh, the, the stewardess who had sort of lost her composure for a second had become very professional. Get off, everybody, drop your stuff, move, now move. Well, I was last, man. I'm taking my stuff. I'm not leaving my passport and my bag. And she's like, leave your stuff. I said, no. If I fall down, the only person I'm going to block is you. And, you know, you kind of fell apart. So let's team up here. We'll work together. I'm taking my stuff. And it's, it was terrible. By the time I got to the door, this plane was full of this, this. It was a smell of smoke. I had never smelt this kind of stink before. It was terrible. And I was getting a headache and people. Uh, and, and of course, this was a plane that was going to France. So there was a lot of French people and they were, I couldn't understand the word they were saying. They were upset. So what happened? Well, I got off. I told these uh, folks at Northwest, I don't mind saying their name. They're gone now. Uh, I'm not getting back on that plane. I know you have a flight tomorrow. It was a Friday. So I knew I could fly out Saturday. It was exact time, exact flight number, all of that. Can I just rebook for tomorrow? They said, sure, yeah, no problem, go. So I went home. Next day I came back. What's next? I don't know, but I know I don't want to get on that same plane. I saw this man from Northwest. He promised me that's not the same plane. And then he did something. He said, come with me. I said, okay. He took me over to the gate attendant and I talked to this person and he talked to them and he said, listen, this is what we did. This plane was two seats, five seats, two seats. He said, we booked you in the center of the five seats and we'll not put anyone on either side. I said, wow, really? Yes. So he said, as soon as the door closes, that whole row is yours, just take it over. I did and I got to sleep that whole flight. I, put up, I had this whole bed to myself. It was a great thing. Nice. But you know, sometimes we don't know what's coming. Well, when I got to France, I knew it was a contentious meeting ahead of me. I had a colleague from an office we had in Germany. He could speak a little French. We made it to this company. 
Yeah, we started talking. They kicked the American out. Get, the, get out of here. I had to leave. They kicked me out. But eh, still, we negotiated through the wall, whatever. It turned out the relationship stayed intact. It was just drama. I had to go to Germany with my colleague. We did. We visited a couple other customers. I'm flying out of Munich. I asked him, hey, how long does it take? We were having dinner. He says, oh, it's about an hour drive. Yeah, but he drives 130 miles per hour. And I couldn't rent a car in Germany. He had rented a car for me that, I'm serious, foot on the floor, downhill, wind behind the car. I could maybe do 80 miles an hour. I mean, seriously, I, it was like a wind-up toy. It took me two hours or so to get to the airport. I'm way behind. I couldn't read the German signs. I, I followed planes in the sky. I had laryngitis. Do you know how, I, 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 somehow I lost my voice. Do you understand how hard it is to speak to someone in a foreign language when you can't even speak? Turning in that car took me an hour. I, I had maybe a couple hours sleep, flight in the morning, packed, made it to Amsterdam, layover. I hate it. I'm thinking, what's, what's next? I'm just looking forward to going home. First time I'm going to fly in a 747. I was kind of looking forward to that. It landed in Amsterdam, was taxiing on the runway. I kid you not. Sucked a bird into one of the engines. That's an automatic take the engine off. So I get to sleep a day in Amsterdam waiting for a plane in the airport, not knowing, chained my bag to my arm, set my alarm clock. Yeah, you never know. So a good thing happens, and then a bad thing. You just don't know what's coming. Um, so that's it. That's, so finally I made it home. Some good things, some bad things, and you just never know what to expect. I read this story this week, which was kind of a good story, but started bad. Right here in Sterling Heights, 79-year-old man was pulled over by the police for speeding. And, and this article said... He was crying. The longtime Sterling Heights resident was pulled over for speeding. Police said he was visibly upset and crying. He said, I really try to drive right. I bought a television today because I wanted to make my wife happy. You know, I can't get it hooked up. The elderly man was having a bad day. There were a number of problems going on at home. His wife was ill. He has a son with a mental disability. He had been driving to different stores seeking help, not finding any. The officer let him off with a warning. Well, that was really nice. An hour later, this officer, his name is Kevin Coates, he went over to the man's home with two other officers, and together they hooked up his TV. They all came in. The man said, they moved my TV, they set it up, and a short time later, they were gone. Wow, he said. I'd probably say the same thing. Pulled over for speeding. What's next? You're figuring a ticket. He has his television hooked up by the same officer who pulled him over. I didn't expect that, he says. Yeah, that's our Sterling Heights officers, right? Well, that was really a great story. You know, you know, when you, you get pulled over, you're all nervous, and you think, it's, you know, this is it. You're going to have to pay a fine. We just don't know what's next. And, you know, when it's a nice surprise, like this morning, and that's a great thing. We don't typically fret over that. 
But I'm sure most of us have wondered over the past 19 months, with all the craziness that's happened, you know, what's next? What is coming in our country? We had 19 months ago this thing, and they called it a novel virus. It, became, it was a, an epidemic that became a pandemic, and it closed the schools and churches and businesses and a whole bunch of the economy. Well, what's next? Well, this man in, in the summertime, George Floyd, or in the spring, he was killed. Unjustly, murdered, wrongly. And that set off so much turmoil, and, and that, that characterizes summer of 2020. What's next? Well, then the fall, the political season, this election that was so immensely polarized and contested and, and, and violence spilled over. What's next? What's next? Well, the pandemic continued. Another wave, right? And, and all kinds of policies that caused division among us where there was no division. And this was at the national level. What about personal? What about in your personal lives? Of course, we all experienced this personally, didn't we? People were separated from loved ones, couldn't visit them, couldn't see them, couldn't touch them. People lost loved ones. They, they died. What's next? People lost their jobs. They lost their livelihoods or business, work became slow. Business became slow. Bills couldn't be paid. Rent couldn't be paid. But what's next? Families are infighting. They're, they're falling apart. Families have come to, to division because of all this that's going on politically, socially, pandemic policy. I, just a couple of headlines. Here's one I read. Family feuds. These are a side effect of the COVID-19 vaccine. Families are in arguments about it, separating. Another one said, how politics is tearing families apart. And that article chronicled several families that had split. Siblings are not talking to siblings. They're publicly putting each other down on social media, etc. Why? Well, because of their political views. One's, one's on one side, one's on another, and one voted for one, one voted for another. What's next you know we'd all like to know we just don't know we don't know and if i've said anything up here I've, all my predictions have been wrong I, I, I anticipated this thing to be over a long time ago and like i say i've said it before many times you never know what a day's gonna hold could be great but it could be an an unpleasantry something tough a hardship and those are the things that can sometimes capture our minds, overwhelm our thoughts, give us this, this dread, this sense of anxiousness. What's around the corner? What's going to happen? And so what do we do? What do we do in that case? What do we do when we don't know what trouble is next? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What do we do when we don't know what's next? And I'm going to touch also on our divine destiny. That's going to weave in here. What's your divine destiny? I want to kind of touch on those two questions. What do we do when we don't know what's next? And what's your destiny? 
So the question, what do we do? What do we do when we don't know what's next? Let's look at the Bible. Let's look at the Word of God. And let's take an example. Let's take an example from the life of a man called Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He's the man who became known as the great church planning apostle Paul. By his own testimony, his own testimony, before he received Jesus Christ, he persecuted the church. He persecuted those who followed Jesus Christ. And he said he persecuted them to their death. He went on, he wrote, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison when the blood of Stephen was being shed. This man, Saul of Tarsus, wrote, I stood by, I guarded the clothes of those who were taking his life. I gave approval for what they were doing. That was his testimony. But then something happened. Jesus Christ was revealed to him. Jesus Christ came into his life and he changed. He became known as this church planning apostle and his name was now Paul. And he would go on to write a great portion of the New Testament and he wrote, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But he knew this. He knew my sins are dead and gone. Gone, gone, gone. My sins are dead and gone. And that compelled him on. Yes, he acknowledged his past life. And his past life had been characterized by hard lines. Hard lines. Hard lines that put boundaries around him and who he would associate with. Many people were kept out. It was never someone who was a non-Jew. They weren't coming in the hard lines. They weren't coming in his boundaries. Not a sinner. They weren't going to be in his boundaries. Never an unclean person. That wouldn't happen. He had his hard lines. He had his boundaries. They marked most people as unworthy. You're unworthy of me. You're unworthy of God. That was his take. If he'd been living here, in the past 19 months, he would have took a side. And it would have been a hard, a hard line. But his attitude changed when he met Christ. He was convinced. He was convinced that his sins were forgiven by Jesus, even as bad as he was. And that truth is available to every single person. This man yielded his life in repentance. He realized his racism. He was a racist terrorist and he realized this racism and terrorism they were wars against God they were sins against God and so he could write godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and it leaves no regret how could he write that he'd experienced it that's how he could write it he had met Christ his life changed and his aim in life changed. He wasn't out persecuting people anymore, getting them thrown in prison. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago about his aim in life, his mission in life. He was dedicated to a new aim. His cause, his mission was for Jesus. And he had resolved, he had wrote, to know nothing but him, Jesus, to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That was it. Now what's next? What would come for that? Well, what was next for him was a life of uh, 
learning about Jesus, being received back to the people he'd persecuted, that took well over a, a decade. And then he began to travel and plant churches and teach about Christ and teach how Jesus is the one Savior, Messiah, that the Old Testament talked about, which was at the time the only real holy book they had. So he taught the Bible, he preached, he prayed, he saw miracles and healings. He had great highs, but he also had big lows, some hard days while he was traveling. Sometimes he was not received well. He was beaten, flogged. One time he was stoned, left for dead. He was kicked out of cities. And after about a 10 years or so of doing this, he was on his way back to Jerusalem. And he'd received a little bit of insight about what was coming next. He was waiting to board a boat. He was in this little port town that was near the city of Ephesus. He called for the elders in the church of Ephesus so that he could say goodbye. And here's what, some of what he said. And it's in Acts chapter 20. I want to share with you from Acts chapter 20, verses 21 to 23. Paul talking to these Ephesian elders. He said, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is again. Just That's his mission. He goes on, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. It's a very familiar feeling, isn't it? Don't know what's coming next. He goes on, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Good times. You know, he'd stayed on his mission, preaching repentance faith in Jesus. And he preached to all. He preached to all. He says, both Jews and Greeks. See that whole thing about race was no longer a stumbling block because he met Christ and he understood Jesus Christ is for everyone. But what was coming as he's going to Jerusalem? He didn't know. I don't know what's going to happen. He told these elders, but he had a little bit of insight. The Holy Spirit warned him. Hardships are coming. And I want to just take a minute. I want to take a couple of minutes, really, to dwell right here. Hardships are coming. Do you know that there are some in Christianity that preach that you have an appointed divine destiny with health and prosperity? You should be wealthy, and you should never be sick or in pain. And that's not really difficult to find or hear. And I'll give you a couple of brief examples. It took me about 30 seconds to find. This one says, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, you need to know that you are in a covenant with God. Sounds great. He wants you to learn how to become a commander of covenant wealth. What does that mean? It means you're not asking, but commanding wealth on behalf of the Father. Hmm. Here's something from a different preacher. Jesus became poor, so I might be rich. Therefore, it's God's will for me to be rich. Another, and, and this isn't spiritual wealth or anything. This is material wealth. 
Another example, this one about health. Did you know that God wants you healed and whole? God desires that we walk in health all the days of our life. Now, there's a segment of Christianity and and, and certain preachers who insist as a Christian, you should be material rich and you should never, ever be sick. You should never experience pain. I just have a difficult time reconciling that with the totality of Scripture. And even so, even so, I want you to say, I want you to know, I'm not at all saying God's not going to be our provider. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying God will not bless you. He, he does bless. I'm not saying God will not heal you. I believe in provision and I believe in blessing and healing. But I also have this word of God that tells me things like the words of Jesus who said, deny yourself and take up your cross. And from what I gather, a cross isn't absent pain. Jesus also said this, and it's in John's gospel, chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Hold on, that's the word of Jesus. In this world, you will have wealth, prosperity, forever. No, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus says. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Listen, Christians, we're not immune. We're not immune from trouble. But Jesus Christ is with us. You know, the Holy Spirit was with Paul. He said, hey, listen, hardship's coming, imprisonment's coming. It awaits you in Jerusalem. But did the Holy Spirit stop him? No, he said, I feel compelled by the Spirit, pushed to go. So onward he went. Sometimes what's next? It's got nothing to do with health or prosperity. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us there's a season and a time and every purpose under heaven. Seasons change. Yes, we can have high times and great times. Seasons of abundance. You know, these mountaintop experiences. Yes, Also, we shouldn't be delusional and think that we'll never, ever have a season of drought or a a valley in life. Paul knew this. He knew it. Whether in plenty or want, he found the secret, not of finding health and wealth. No, he said, I found the secret of being content. Whatever the season of life, whatever the season I'm in, He wrote, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, we say it often, but it's about being content. It's not about having everything in this material world. Let's not get caught up in some fantasy spiritualization that Scripture guarantees us health and prosperity when hardship might lie ahead. So back to the question. Back to the question. What do we do? What do we do when we don't know what's next? What did Paul do? What did he do? He stayed the 
course. He went to Jerusalem. He kept his mission. And in Jerusalem, what happened? Well, the Jews that were there were not happy to see him. They falsely accused him of desecrating the temple. And pandemonium ensued. There was kind of a riot there in Jerusalem. With Paul at the center of it, the Romans, they came running in to keep the peace, grabbed the man, put him in chains. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit said. That was going to happen. They're dragging this guy away. He says, please, let me speak. And he spoke in Aramaic, which quieted down the crowd. They understood, okay, this, this is a Jewish man speaking to us. And what did he say? Testified about Jesus. Remember his mission? Remember his aim? Christ and him crucified. This guy's getting hauled off in chains. Hold on a second. Let me talk about Jesus. Talked about Jesus. Talked all about him. And then he got to this point where he said, Jesus, he's the one that our ancestors were waiting for. He is the righteous one. He's the Messiah, the Savior. And he added, though, the Lord has called me on a mission to preach about this Jesus and to share all of his greatness with the Gentiles who were not Jewish. Well, that crowd did not receive that very well because they had hard lines like Paul used to have. They did not think the Gentiles were worthy of God. And so what did they do? They went wild. They called for Paul's life. So the Romans, they ran him away. They spirited him away. And they planned to flog him. Well, what's next? Well, we're going to flog you. We really want to find out what's going on. He used his citizenship. I'm a citizen, he said. And he, he wasn't flogged. Since the Jews had brought the charges, the Romans put Paul before the, the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. What did he do there? He mentioned the resurrection. Started a big infight. Talk to you a little bit about infighting. We have division where we shouldn't have it. You know, the resurrection brought up a fight inside the Sanhedrin. It was Jewish man against Jewish man. They started fighting. It got so bad. The Romans thought Paul was going to be ripped apart. The book of Acts says that they thought he was going to be torn in pieces. So what did they do? They took him away again. The Holy Spirit had warned Paul. Hardship's coming. Imprisonment's coming. Well, he's there. Now what's next? He didn't know. And, you know, I think if that had been me, I think I'd be wondering, Lord, what's coming? I'm guessing he might have been imagining what's next. He spent a day in the barracks. I don't know what was going through his mind. I can only imagine, though, it was, Lord, help me here. What's to come? I know he was a praying man. What awaits? Well, the next night Paul heard, and I want to share with you Acts chapter 23, verse 11, because it says this. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Rome. What do you do when you don't know what's next? Listen to these words of Jesus. Take courage. Take courage. The Greek word, word here that's uh, 
attributed to Jesus speaking to Paul. It's variously translated in English. Be brave. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Take heart. Take courage. Some of our other English Bibles, it says things like cheer up. Be of good cheer. Hey, imagine that. You're in prison. You're almost beaten, flogged. You're in chains. Jesus comes and says, cheer up. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. The word could go kind of two ways. Have courage. Be encouraged. So what do you do when you don't know what's next? Be brave and be encouraged. Don't become the victim. Don't spiral downward. Don't fall into depression. Easy to say, isn't it? It's really easy to say. You're sitting there in a place where, man, it's been heavy. You're kind of depressed. Easy for me to stand up here and say, just don't do it. Oh, yeah, be brave and be encouraged. This downward pull is real. This depression is real. And I'm feeling it. Well, what more did, did Paul say, or, or did Jesus say to Paul? Because we can, we can take from this. He said, Paul, you've testified about me in Jerusalem. You must testify also in Rome. In other words, listen, the situation you're in, yeah, you're in a tough spot. But hey, stay strong. Be brave. Be encouraged. It's not changed your mission. You're still on the same mission, regardless of what you're going through. You are still on the same mission. Stay the course. You have a divine destiny. You've got a divine destiny. It hasn't changed. And let me tell you what Paul's divine destiny was. It wasn't health and it wasn't wealth and prosperity. His divine destiny was to testify about Jesus Christ. And you know what I think and I believe for all of us, that's our divine destiny. You asking about your divine destiny? It's to, to talk to others about Jesus Christ. It's to share your faith. It's to go out into the highways and byways and talk about Jesus. This is our divine destiny. It's not to accumulate stuff on this earth. If that's what you think it is, you know, your destiny is to have more stuff or to live without experiencing any pain. I say our, our divine mission and our destiny is to share the greatness of eternal life. If, if you've received that by faith in Christ, what more, what more riches do you need you know, when Paul talked about Jesus becoming poor so that we might become rich, it's this richness of eternal life. Our divine destiny is to be used by God, not for our purpose. It's not my purpose that, that God would, would have to use me. No, it's not our purpose. It's his purpose. It's for his kingdom. That's why he wants to use us. It's not to build our own kingdom. Stay the course. Stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And what's next? It's got no consequence. Paul stayed the course. He stayed the course. What was next? Well, the Lord told him he's going to Rome. Okay, so he's going to Rome. 
It wasn't by his plan. Hey, listen, if you planned a trip to Rome, what would you do? Oh, let me get the quickest boat there and I'm going to go. That's not what happened because Paul was not the way maker. No, no, Paul wasn't making the way. Jesus was. Jesus is the way maker. Paul wasn't making the way. So how's he going to get to Rome? He's in prison under Roman guard. Well, here's what happened first. The Jews tried to kill him. Yeah, they plotted to take his life. And so the Romans sent him away, sent him out of Jerusalem to Caesarea. He was put before a Roman governor there. And that governor, Felix, wanted to turn him back over to the Jews. Again, Paul used his citizenship. Hold on, no, no, you're not putting me before the Jewish court again. Uh Uh-uh, I'm a Roman citizen. I appeal to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. That was his right as a Roman citizen. So you'd think maybe they'd just send him off to Rome, right? No. Two years he stayed. Two years in Caesarea under arrest, under Roman guard. Man, I'd be thinking, what, Lord? I thought you said I'm going to Rome here. It's like it's a year later. Come on. Like, hey, hey it's been 19 months with the pandemic. Two years. New, new Roman governor comes along. Is he going to go to Rome? Well, that Roman governor says, okay, we'll send him to Rome. But it's nearing winter. He gets on a ship with a couple of hundred Roman prisoners and, and crew and such, Roman guards. They set off on the Mediterranean Sea. Hey, smooth sailing? No. Read the book of Acts. Hurricane force winds. Lord, what's next? Come on. I've been in prison like two years here. I'm on a boat that's about to sink. They thought it was going to fall apart. Two weeks, it's blowing and blowing. Finally, they see a little spit of land with a sandy beach. They say, Let's, we got we to gotta get there. They run the ship aground. It doesn't hardly make it to the beach. It's a ways away. Surf is beating at the transom of the ship. It's ripping it apart. Oh, what are they going to do? Well, every, every man goes over. They get onto land. They're on the island of Malta. They're way off course. It's cold. It's raining. They start a fire. Paul picks up a branch to put in the fire. There's a viper in there. Latches onto his hand. Can you see him? Like, Lord, two years beat. You know, they wanted to beat me. I finally get the ship. Thought it was going to sink. I got, a, I got a viper latched on my hand. What is next? Well, he put the viper over the fire. No ill effects. Thank you, Jesus. He wasn't. He, he, he didn't have any ill effects from the, the venom of the snake. That was a great, great miracle in his life. But would they go to Rome? No, three months on Malta. And then finally they get a ship, a new ship to get to Rome. What did Paul do? He took courage. He took courage. He was encouraged. He stayed the course. He kept on his mission. The last verse of the book of Acts, the very last verse of the book of Acts, after Paul goes to Rome, and guess what? Does he see Caesar? No. Two years again under Roman guard. You do the math. I mean, it's been four years. He hasn't seen Caesar 
the last line of the book of Acts doesn't even tell us that he gets to Caesar. It says this, Acts 28, 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoosh, with all all boldness and without hindrance. The man's under house arrest. But he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He did not go into that spiral of depression. Lord, four years, come on. No, we don't read that. He taught about Jesus with all boldness. Think back to this, to, to Jerusalem. He'd been in the hands of the Romans one night. And he might have been thinking, Lord, what's coming? What's next? And Jesus visited him and said, take courage. And what might he have been thinking? And I, I don't know, Lord, what, what's, what's coming? But Jesus says, you testified about me in Jerusalem. You're going to testify about me in Rome. And now here he is in Rome. Yeah, it took two and a half years. But what did he do? He testified about Jesus. If he was in Jerusalem asking, Lord, what's next? I, gotta, I look at this now that his life has changed. When he made it to Rome. And I, I have felt this. What is next? I cannot believe it. Are you kidding me? A bird got sucked into that engine. Haven't I had enough on this trip? You know, these kinds of things. He's, he's under way more, way more duress. Lord, what's next? Yeah, I can picture him saying that in Jerusalem. But now he's in Rome. And we read he's testifying with all boldness. And he's, he, he's brave. He's upbeat. And you know what I think he did? I imagine that he transformed this question. What's next? Lord, what's next? He transformed it into something like a declaration. What's next? What's next? Bring it on. Come on, bring it on. What's next? I can face it because I'm with the way maker. I got Jesus who comes by my side. And I don't don't care what's coming next because you know what? He's walking with me. You know Bring it. Just bring it. What's next? Come on. Come on. Let's take that attitude. Hardships, imprisonment, snakes, shipwrecks, Roman guards, house arrest, whatever. Bring it. Come on. Bring it. I'm going to testify about Jesus Christ with all boldness. And I don't care what you bring my way. I'm going to continue to fulfill my divine destiny to talk about my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Take courage and be encouraged. Take heart, be of good cheer and stay focused on the mission, the destiny, your divine destiny. It's about Jesus and your hope of glory, your Savior and your Lord, your mission, your destiny, his purpose, his purpose. Listen, whenever you've experienced some unexpected storm and you, you, you've, you've spiraled into that, that downward area, change it. Change it. Listen, when an unexpected situation comes up, you keep your faith. You keep your faith. You stay strong. You have your confidence in Jesus Christ. Know your destiny. Know your destiny and you pray. You pray, of course. 
Paul prayed in every single situation. You know, he prayed on that ship. He prayed on that ship when it was experiencing a hurricane. Of course he did. And before the ship ran aground, he even remembered to pray the simplest prayer. Hey, Lord, thank you for the bread. Two weeks they didn't eat, but he thanked God they had a little bread and shared it with the others on the ship to give them strength before they had to jump overboard and swim ashore. He kept his courage. He remained encouraged. He kept on his mission. And man, he prayed and he trusted Jesus. See, this is it. He trusted Jesus, the way maker to make his way and see him through. And you know what? Even though you can't see Jesus right now or you can't feel Jesus right now, he'll make a way for you. He will make a way for you when you trust him, when you trust him with your life. You know, and and then what's coming It doesn't really have to consume your thoughts. Man, trust him. Trust Jesus to see you through whatever comes next. Let's let's stand and sing about that as we close. Jesus, the way maker. If if, If you're dealing with something like you don't know the way, you're having a struggle, maybe trusting him, sing these words. Make them your prayer. Make them your prayer. Lord, you are my way today. And as we do every Sunday, you want to pray about it. You need to give something to the Lord. You want to set it down like, God, I haven't, I'm struggling over this. Yes, I'm a little depressed. I want to hear those words of Jesus. Like he, he talked to, to Paul, just be encouraged, be brave. You know, make it your prayer. Lord, I need to be encouraged and pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your word. God, I just ask and pray if there's anyone who is here this morning or anyone who's listening or touching online, God, who is at that place in their life where they are just falling apart about what's coming. They don't know and they are just, they are struggling to maintain any semblance of peace. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, They would hear the words of Jesus who would say, be encouraged. Stay on your mission. I'm here right next to you. Even when I can't see you or feel you, God, I pray just the tangible presence of Almighty God, like Paul felt when Jesus was right next to him. God, I pray that for any who are in that place this morning. God, stand right there next to him, Jesus Put your arm around them and encourage them that they could be strong, stay on their mission, and you're with them. You are a way maker and a promise keeper. You do miracles, absolutely. Lord, we trust you and we love you and we ask your grace. Be upon us, Lord. Be upon us. Help us, Lord. Help us to continue our mission, to be encouraged in it and know you're with us. Thank you for it, God. Thank you. Bless everyone in this house with that. And we love you. We praise you. Keep us, Lord, till we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.